0: Hi, welcome to The Galapod, with me, Galapasidia. In this episode, I'm reading Chapter 2 of The Bolt Hole, a new fic I wrote with Adi and TEPRA. If you're not here for diary fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning, this story deals with themes of grief and hoarding, but as always, it does have a happy ending. I hope you enjoy The Bolt Hole. Chapter 2 It hadn't been difficult for Hermione to convince Draco to go to Harry's. Everything had been breaking apart in his head like pack ice in a thaw. Pinky hadn't been family or a partner or anything important that he could prove on paper, so his initial grief leave was three saved-up vacation days. He locked up Pinky's shop. He cleaned Pinky's room from top to bottom and stripped the bed and closed the door and sat alone in the kitchen, his hands throbbing, the cleaning chemicals cracking his skin. He was constantly misplacing his keys. At one point he tried to put a foot into a sleeve, thinking it a trouser leg. He found himself in rooms he had no recollection walking into. He went back into work a day early just for something to do, and then he continued going to work, walking into other people's offices, drinking from other people's mugs, standing in one place for too long, unmoving. It was awful to be suddenly bad at this when work had been one of the things that had saved him from himself. Ron and Hermione had applied to aura camps right away while Draco was still ghosting around London weeping on strange men in pottery shops. Ron and Hermione met up with him in the evenings and told him all they were learning, and Draco listened with a starved mind, trying to hide how jealous he was. After two weeks, though, three days into a gruelling series of workshops on using the landscape around them to their advantage, Ron sat them down and said, "'I'm out. I'm done. Sorry.' "'It was too much like something Fred might have done,' he said, this mad, chaotic improvisation. What he didn't say, although Draco guessed, and he presumed Hermione knew, was that Ron missed Harry, who had always been his partner, his ally.' at his side in every fight, the biggest and most devoted believer in Ron's ability. Hermione had been glum but understanding about it. Draco had been as sympathetic as it was possible to be while tamping down catastrophic yearning for a career of his own. When Pinky finally convinced Draco to apply to the Aurors, Hermione must have done something. She must have. Draco could find no other reason for why they hadn't thrown his application straight into the bin. He certainly had not expected her to pay attention to him when he graduated from the training programme. But Hermione clung to him, and they developed an unsettling habit of rescuing each other. She missed Ron, he realised. She missed people who had known her when she was just an insufferable know-it-all. By the end of his first year, Hermione said determinedly, "'If they don't assign us together as partners, we'll just drop out and start again until they get it right.' And Draco, without looking up, had said, "'They'll assign us together. We look unbelievable for their optics.' "'That,' Hermione said, pointing a finger, "'is why I love you.' The Ministry trotted them out at every post-war event they could." the muggle-born girl and the repentant failed Death Eater, and it was kind of revolting, but it meant that they got to do their job. Which they did very well, until they didn't. Until Draco couldn't. "'We need to track where the treasure went,' said Hermione, pushing a map of Britain flat on her desk. "'Did you get the numbers on the incidents of strange resuscitation from St. Mungo's?' He took a breath to answer, and then the word resuscitation got stuck behind his eyes. Could they have resuscitated Binky? He had been taken to a muggle hospital by the bus driver.' Draco turned his head and stared at the pictures of Ron on the walls, and tried to think of something appropriate to say. Uh, he said. Draco? Yes, sorry, said Draco. His head was so empty. Trying to find words was like trudging through mud. Because once we have the resuscitation data, we can start looking for commonalities among the victims of the cursed objects, said Hermione. Uh, Good, said Draco. Hermione pursed her lips and softened her eyes and tilted her head. The look. Draco, she said. Hmm? said Draco. Did you eat breakfast? Uh, yes, said Draco. Pistachios. Pistachios is not breakfast, said Hermione. Pinky did the shopping, said Draco, and immediately regretted it. Hermione stood slowly and folded her hands in front of her as if she were preparing for a recital. Ron and I have been talking and we think you should get out of town for a bit. Draco forced himself to look at her. You want me to go? No, oh, no, Draco. She reached out to touch him, then stopped herself. No, we love you, you know that. We just think... He knew he had been failing at his role lately. The one where they worried, and he'd proved to them that there was nothing to worry about by being very funny and tactile. He knew he had been sullen and cloth-headed, and recoiled from touch in a way that startled them, all of them. Ron and Hermione were far kinder than he'd known people to be, to be capable of, a fact that still frightened him, even more so now. He slept on their couch a few days after the funeral. They were so soft with him he almost wanted cruelty instead, cruelty he understood better, knew how to react to with more ease. But he saw now that even their patience had a limit. "'All right,' he said. "'Yeah, I could rent a flat in... I don't know, in Shrewsbury.' "'Or something.' "'Shrewsbury? Leeds, then, I don't care. Out of town.' He did not suggest Venice. His mother had never invited him to her palazzo. Once he had offered to visit, and she had said that he was welcome, of course, but it was only a very small palazzo, so he wouldn't be comfortable for more than a night or two. He wasn't sure where he had gone wrong there, or whether it was Narcissa who had gone wrong.' Every now and then he thought about saying, "'Remember when I was thirteen and an absolute wanker and you thought I was perfect anyway?' And then instead he said something like, "'Yes, and maybe they could talk again soon.' He understood that she didn't live in a palazzo at all, and that she didn't want him to see her life there. He suspected she had a lover. He never brought up the idea of a visit again. Hermione turned back to the map. "'We were thinking you could stay with Harry,' she said. "'Harry?' said Draco. "'It's just an idea,' said Hermione. Draco's chest tightened. Had they been Pansy and Greg and Vince back in school, he would have taken the suggestion as a certain sign that they were sick of him. But Ron and Hermione said what they thought. There were no hidden motives. He swallowed. Would he have me? Hermione turned around, eyes shining. You'd do it? Yes, he would. We already talked to him. Oh, Draco, I think it could be really good for you, for both of you, just to get out in the countryside and take a break from work, don't you? Harry had agreed to have him. Draco didn't know what to make of that. He assumed the conversation that had taken place was being morphed, rephrased here, to spare his feelings. Harry would have had to have been convinced somehow. Draco thought of the letter Harry had sent him the first year after Hogwarts, when Draco was still so tender over their brief encounter, that brief night they had shared, and was still holding out hope somehow, was still waiting for a sign, a word, a confirmation that he hadn't imagined it. And then, when that word came... Ron and Hermione had grown to love him, he knew, but Harry never had. He had only grown to accept Draco as an occasionally usable addition to his life. All the same, it was impossible for Draco to resist the idea of Harry to focus on. Harry had always taken up all his head at Hogwarts, and there was nothing Draco wanted more than to push the grief out of his mind and replace it with something else. Even if that something else had historically made him feel worthless. "'Can you spare me on the treasure case?' he asked Hermione. "'Yes,' she said. "'Not easily, but yes.' "'All right,' said Draco. "'Yeah. Gloucestershire, Harry.' After his first week there, Hermione sent him a quick note, asking, "'How's countryside life?' Which meant she didn't want to fluke call him and was probably very busy and fulfilling her duty as such. So Draco wrote back a cheerful reply. "'Excellent. Harry is afraid of cows, I've found out. Inform the Prophet. The air is nice. Give Ronbo a snog for me.' He didn't want to take up too much of her time. He wasn't sure if any of them knew about how Harry lived out here. And while it wasn't, perhaps, excellent, it wasn't the very worst living arrangement of his life. Living with Harry was living in starts and stops, in awkward encounters in the hallway, the both of them trying to get out of each other's way and choosing the same direction each time, stepping from the left to the right, from the left to the right.' It was saying something in good humour and regretting it instantly. It was coming close without thinking and then realising too late that he'd come too close. After the incident with the cows, Draco went into his bedroom and smashed his head repeatedly into the mattress. For a good ten minutes he was so miserable about Harry and the war that he didn't think about Pinky once. So, he thought bitterly, pulling up his sleeve to scratch at the dark mark, Draco one, grief zero. Yes, Harry had the same effect on him that he'd always had, the effect of clicking something open inside him. Draco woke up each morning with a sense of spiralling chaos and spent all day in a frenzy of action trying to find a place for everything in the house. It was a hopeless task. For each box Draco unpacked, he seemed to find three more filled with eclectic and useless objects. "'How many waffle irons do you need?' he asked Harry when they crossed paths one day. Which they didn't much. Harry slept in until noon and kept to himself. "'What's a waffle iron?' asked Harry. He was wearing, Draco noticed with bleak amusement, a weird sister's T-shirt that Draco would have bet good money once belonged to Ginny. It strained tight across Harry's shoulders, left a low strip of stomach and a trail of dark hair visible. "'My God,' said Draco, "'are you possessed? Is there some greedy consumerist demon inside you whose heart's desire it is to accumulate unnecessary material goods?' "'Fuck off,' said Harry. "'It's a reckless hobby, you know.' Hermione and I worked on this case where this man had the most insane stamp collection. I'm talking secret compartments in the rafters to hide stamp albums. And then one day he ordered these special-issue stamps from the USSR and it turned out one of Stalin's underlings had cursed them and the stamps got stuck to his eyelids and all he could see was stamps to the end of his days. Harry stared at him. Actually, reflected Draco, maybe that's not a good example. He was quite happy with the outcome. Maybe there's nothing you want more than to be cursed by a waffle iron. Harry spoke slowly. Fuck off. He didn't seem to like it when Draco was chatty. So then Draco tried to be polite and quiet, which Harry also didn't seem to like. He'd give Draco looks like he expected something more to follow, a sneer, a nasty comment. Like the politeness was a set-up. Draco would say, Could you pass me that rag, please? And Harry would frown and pass him the rag and stick around, expectant. Nothing followed, besides Draco polishing a candlestick. Harry said, You don't need to clean those, I never use them. And Draco said, Well, it's better to have things neat, isn't it? And then, again when he got that doubtful look, I'm happy to do it. "'Happy,' Harry repeated, a word now shaped like distrust. "'Mm-hmm,' Draco confirmed, and polished faster, and didn't look up any more. "'Draco cooked a lot. He had been too sad to cook at home. "'He'd open cupboards or tried to think of what to eat, "'and his mind spat memories at him, "'how Pinky used to put on the radio and tease him. "'Garlic, much?' Pinky would say. "'Think your new boyfriend's gonna kiss you if you've eaten that.' "'Zander isn't my boyfriend,' Draco would answer, "'spitefully adding yet another clove of garlic. "'So I couldn't care less what he thinks of my breath.' Oh, I forgot, you're waiting for Mr. Wright," said Pinky. I can't fall in love, said Draco. You'd be too lonely without me. Don't flatter yourself, said Pinky, and ruffled Draco's hair. One evening, Harry ate with him, staring at Draco the whole time. They sat in a small, cleared corner of the kitchen table. In the morning, Draco thought he'd managed to open up a third of the space, but now, sitting down, he saw that he'd barely made a dent, and that more stuff had begun to spill into the narrow corridor of room he'd opened up. He wondered if there was magic behind Harry's mess. If it multiplied to his whim, buried him in because that's what he wanted it to do. The light above the stove was the only one that turned on, and so the kitchen was cast in a dim, orange glow. The window could only open an inch, and so the smell of cooking hung heavily about them, warm under the low ceiling. "'Had a good day?' asked Harry, when they'd finished. He had clearly waited until Draco was on the verge of clearing the meal to begin a conversation, so that it couldn't possibly last more than three sentences. "'Yep,' lied Draco. "'You?' "'Yep,' said Harry, presumably also lying. The next evening, even that corner of the kitchen table was inexplicably covered in papers again— And Draco gave up, had his meal on the couch, had the radio on until Harry came downstairs, disoriented and confused about the time. Draco hadn't a notion of what he did upstairs, how he filled his days when he wasn't glowering at Draco. "'Where did you find the radio?' asked Harry. "'Under the German Monopoly board in the laundry cupboard,' said Draco. "'I don't have a laundry cupboard,' said Harry, staring at him. He was always looking at Draco. And that was before Draco even got to the way Harry shouldered past, put a hand on Draco's hip, his shoulder, tapped him out of the way. Not gently, but not rough, either.' the kind of firm touch that expected no reaction. It was as though he'd forgotten what it was like to have another person in the house. Thought Draco was just another box or coat rack or bizarre muggle electronic that he could pick up and put out of the way when it was in his path. The worst bit was that it worked, that Draco always went quietly, always wanted to stay for a moment where Harry had put him. Once or twice he went still and waited, just in case, but Harry never looked back. "'You do now,' said Draco, trying to appear unconcerned. "'There's more lasagna in the kitchen if you're hungry.' Harry turned to go, and stopped at the door. "'Did you have a good day?' he asked. Draco wondered just what Ron and Hermione had told Harry. Don't let Draco know you despise him, maybe. For us, just pretend. A good enough day, said Draco, because Harry was still waiting by the door for his assignment to be complete, his daily nicety. You? Yeah, said Harry. Good. It was a not-quite-real version of Friendly, as if someone had just whispered in his ear what to say. Draco supposed it was better than nothing, and a distracting kind of pastime. Wondering at Harry's indecipherable moods was a nice distraction from wondering at other, somewhat more devastating things, like death, and who it came for, and why it hadn't yet come for him. Draco had just spent an entire morning clearing things out of the sink in the downstairs loo, which Harry had apparently been using for storage, despite having a perfectly good cupboard under the stairs. Draco was feeling rather desperate, and started violently when Harry walked by. "'You're up,' he said. "'Yeah,' said Harry, "'what are you doing?' Clearing out the sink, said Draco. Wait, don't go. I have some questions. Where does this live? He held out an unopened child's tea set. In the sink, said Harry. Harry. Anything else? Asked Harry, crossing his arms. They were burly. Whatever else Harry had spent his time doing since the war, he had evidently kept up some sort of fitness regimen. Can I throw this away? Asked Draco, holding out the random bottom half of a Matryoshka doll. No, I haven't found the top part, but it's here somewhere, said Harry. Draco looked at him in disbelief. Harry looked stonily back. "'I'm going out,' Draco found himself saying. "'He dropped the Matrioshka doll on the floor and pushed past Harry. "'He was halfway to Elsie's house before he realised that the ache in his throat was him missing Pinky. "'It was amazing how that particular emotion kept masquerading as other feelings. "'He missed Pinky, who had made him feel as if the way forward was clear, "'and was angry at him too, for leaving him seemingly halfway down the forest path "'in the middle of the night without a torch. "'There had been an agreement, he'd thought. "'He would try, and Pinky wouldn't leave. "'Everyone else would come and go, but Pinky wouldn't leave. "'But he did.' And over nothing, really. A bus. What was a bus to a force of nature? What was a bus to Draco's need, his dependence, infinitely more important and intricate things than the metal confines of a car on wheels? About a month before the accident, Draco had gone on a date with someone and tried to explain to them about Pinky. So he's like your replacement dad since your dad died, said the date. No, Draco had said. No, he's... he's like the dad I... He's... he's just important. But he wasn't actually Draco's father and Draco suspected Harry thought his grief ridiculous. Draco found it ridiculous at times. To go through a war, only to be bowled over by something as banal as an old man being hit by a bus. And Harry had lost so many more people than Draco had. More important people, arguably. Elsie's house rose from the bottom of the hill, sturdy and pointed, a mother's single nod of approval. Last night had left a sheen of frost over the roof, and a thin plume of smoke rose out of the chimney, up and up. Draco let the hill drag his footsteps down, wide and quick, and almost run. He panted and let his arm swing to the movement. Elsie let him in right away, and Draco effortlessly slipped into fun, Draco. He brushed his jacket of the dew it had caught, made to hang it up. Elsie kept wanting to take it from him, and he wouldn't let her. The carpet in the main room had fresh vacuuming lines on it. The curtains were open to the neat garden beyond, the bulbous rosemary bush right below the window. It smelled clean and sweet and warm. Draco's smiling breath only quivered a little. "'Have you been baking?' he asked her. "'Chocolate chip cookies. Please eat them. If you don't, I will.' "'Darling, with a figure like yours who could eat biscuits from dawn to dusk,' said Draco, like donning an old familiar robe. "'Oh, stop it,' said Elsie, sweeping him into a chair, passing him a plate of cookies, and swatting him on the head, all in one smooth motion. Elsie was like the mothers Draco had grown up around, like Theo's and Pansies and Vince's, rich and busy and incurious. It was soothing to be with her, even though half his mind was in Grummock Cottage, wondering about Harry and his strange, disordered sadness. Wondering at how Harry would fit into a room like this, too— this clean and homely space, unassuming room temperature. Draco lingered to the very edges of what was socially acceptable and tried to make each topic of conversation last as long as possible. It was difficult to force himself to go back to Grummet Cottage, and when the time had come, when he'd exhausted all Elsie could give him in terms of small talk, he began to quickly and adamantly tell himself that it wasn't as bad as all that, and that he'd been exaggerating it in his mind. Putting on his coat again, he dawdled, and Elsie noticed. He took a breath, and Elsie said, "'Yes?' and he wanted to answer with something crazy like, "'Oh, could you take me in, please? "'Would you adopt me?' The sentiment hung heavy at the base of his throat, the need to be under someone's care again, for someone to take him and cradle him and make decisions for him. He said, "'This was nice. "'Should we do it again?' And Elsie said, "'Oh, I'd like that,' and smiled as she closed the door behind him. When he got back, the entire house was pitch black, except for the candlelight in the sitting-room, by which Harry was reading a magazine called Chickens. "'I'm back,' said Draco. Harry lowered the magazine but didn't say anything. Is that... Draco closed his eyes and took a breath. Is that a magazine about chickens? Yeah, said Harry. Draco nodded, feeling a wild and inexplicable grief that went so far beyond Pinky he could not have named it. You're very good at Quidditch, he told Harry. Harry stared at him. Good night, said Draco, and fled to that horrible room where Harry Potter was throwing away his life with both hands. That night, when he was in bed... Not yet asleep. A pile of something tumbled off of itself in the corner of the room. The flapping sound of papers falling on top of papers. Draco ran himself through the steps of what he'd need to do in order to leave this place and go back to London. Get out of bed. Dress. Pack his bags quietly so that Harry wouldn't notice. Walk to the stairs. Pass by Harry's door. Touch the wood briefly. Go down the stairs. Write a note saying, Thank you for everything. There was an emergency. Had to go. Nothing personal. Thank you again. Talk soon. Draco. "'Stick the note to the door because any other surface would swallow it. "'Apparate, apparate, take a train, apparate. "'Stand in the unheated empty room above the shop. "'Unpack, make the bed, get under the sheets, "'listen to the cavernous silence of loneliness, "'wait for it to cave into his chest, "'wait for his heart to stop beating, wait.' "'He got up and went downstairs and drank, "'half a litre of water from a broad-eared Bavarian beer mug. "'He panted at the sink and tried to catch his breath.' The next day, Harry came into the kitchen while Draco was writing a letter at their occasionally cleared corner of the table. It was to Hermione, essentially a bullet-point list of new theories about their case. Keywords with question marks. Penance? Ideological crusade? Possibly a loner, not a group? Targeted. Goal? Heuristic versus punitive. His pen had come to a pause over a blotch the moment Harry walked in and he couldn't keep on writing. With his eyes still on the parchment, his thoughts frizzled and coalesced around Harry's slumping shape against the countertop, eating his apple. The radio was on, quietly. A sharp autumn sun came in through the brown, smudged window. The silence was pulled very tight. Harry had stopped eating his apple. He scratched at his beard, the sound rasping, and going right to Draco's gut. Harry said, How's your day? Draco stared at the words on his letter and let them go blurry. He thought again about the steps towards leaving. Bags, note, train. He imagined Harry alone here after. Imagined him reading the note. Imagined him eating dinner alone under the hulking towers of boxes. He said, Hmm, all right,' and looked up carefully, as if looking up into the eyes of a wild animal, something that might eat him whole if provoked. The mottled sun cut a line over Harry's broad chest. His glasses had fingerprints on them. Behind them, his eyes were very green and his lashes very dark, and his gaze was very restless over Draco's face, like he couldn't take all of him in, not at once. He stepped towards Draco. Draco swallowed, and quite without wanting, quite automatically, lifted his face up, like a maiden awaiting her kiss. Harry reached out his big hand and plucked something from Draco's hair and showed it to him. A feather. He said, A feather! Draco flushed and smoothed down his hair, making sure nothing else had got stuck. Right, he said, thank you. Harry didn't seem to know what to do with the feather. He put it down on the table. He did not move away, not immediately. He made a sound as though to speak, and Draco searched for something to do with his hands, so he capped his pen and pushed a random square of mess away from him. Bags, cloak, write a note, apparate, apparate, train. Maybe go to Ron and Hermione's. Maybe even Ginny. Grummock Cottage at night, the way the winds howled against the weak roof. The way the eaves creaked, the way the windows ticked in response, dangerous like the whole house was getting closer, ready to eat its occupants alive. Harry, alone. Harry getting older. No one coming to visit because Harry wouldn't let them. Harry stuck one day under an avalanche of unused kitchen supplies. At some point during their one night together, when Harry had been inside him and was holding Draco down heavily, and Draco had thought his heart might beat right out of his throat. Harry had stilled and said, ''I don't...'' and then laughed a little an amazed half of breath against Draco's throat. He'd said, ''God, I... I don't want this to end.'' And Draco, beside himself and on the verge of coming, and mad for Harry in a way he'd never been and had always been, had arched and made him move again and said, ''It won't... it won't... we can... Uh, we can stay... Uh. Harry had put his full weight onto him. The sweat had made the sheet cling to his back every time he moved. Arousal thumped against his temples like an ache. Harry's body had felt very real, very much his. A treasured possession he'd misplaced years ago, and now got to hold again, got to cover himself in. Draco folded his letter and took his pen and made to stand, and only then did Harry take a small step back. They brushed each other, briefly, chest to chest. Harry was very warm. Draco said, Excuse me, and kept his eyes down, and shuffled past and out of the kitchen, only to wander about the house uselessly. He had nowhere else to go, to sit, to catch his breath. When he was twenty-two, he dated a guy for a while who tended to get thoughtful and chatty after sex. Once, after a quick and lovely bout, he wondered at Draco. "'You know, you're very restless in bed.' And Draco had said, "'What do you mean?' And he'd said, "'Like you're—you move a lot, like we're racing it to the end, you know?' And Draco, tired of the conversation already, had said, "'Well, maybe I just like it fast.' "'No, it's not that,' had been the answer, aimed thoughtfully at the ceiling. "'It's not that.' Draco started spending a lot more time with Elsie. He'd leave before midday and help Elsie with the lunch and then find excuses to stay until the day began to blush darker at the edges. It was raining and he hadn't an umbrella and perhaps he could accompany Elsie into town as he needed a few things himself and maybe he could help her clearing out the stables too if she needed an extra hand. She said she could always use an extra hand, said it indulgently like she knew something about him. But at the stables he didn't do much work and just pushed around the straw with a rake and then started up a deep conversation with one of the horses. She laid her head into his arms when he pet her and he told her she was just perfect, just the most perfect thing. Elsie told him her name was Blotchy. She was Blotchy. Elsie had many qualities, but originality was not among them. Draco said, Blotchy! Hello, Blotchy. Will you be my best friend forever now, Blotchy? Do you ride? Elsie asked from behind the low wall of the other stable. Draco put his cheek to the soft stretch of Blotchy's nose. He said, Hmm, used to. Ho, oh, Elsie said, and appeared from behind the wall, face reddish and, well, Blotchy, her hair came out of its bun in a greyish frizz. You should, you should! She motioned at him and the horse and enthusiastically offered that he could come by tomorrow, that they could saddle her up, that he could take her out for a little while. Are you sure? Draco asked, deeply wanting it already and only being polite now. Are you very sure? Of course! Elsie said and flattened her hair back. She felt the state of it and said, oh, Goodness! That evening Draco was cheerful as he prepared dinner. The feeling was a foreign memory coming back to him, the creak of a smile, the easing of the muscles of his shoulders. Harry, when he appeared, was instantly suspicious of it. His usual, did you have a good day, came out laced with weariness. I did, he said, and then at the turn on Harry's face, the way his mouth twisted under his beard, Draco shrunk a little. Said, again, with less mirth. I did. Okay, Harry said. Draco turned off the gas on the buttered potatoes. And you? Fine, Harry said, after a pause. Yeah, he said, and made to pass behind Draco to open the window it's one given inch. It was a tight pass, and his hand briefly rested on Draco's waist, his front brushing to Draco's back. Harry mumbled, excuse me, and Draco pretended he hadn't noticed even though his face felt heated and his skin prickled. There was a warm spot on his waist now that wouldn't go away. The window creaked awfully when Harry wrenched it open. That night, Draco tried to go through the steps again, but stumbled over his promise to ride Blotchy the next day. He'd have to send a note to Elsie too, and that would be very rude. So he moved the fantasy to the day after tomorrow for now, and fell asleep like that. Early the next day, Draco saddled up Blotchy and went riding through the empty country roads. He wore a rough and itchy woollen jumper under a tight jacket and a long scarf wrapped around his neck, and so the only parts of him that stung under the morning chill were his ears, his cheeks. It was sunny, and the birds were still chattering in their morning dialect, still waking each other up. The air was brightly fresh like no one else had breathed it in yet that day, like he was the first person to wake. Blotchy was responsive to the slightest touch of his heel, and after a while Draco felt comfortable enough to nudge her into a loping canter. To his right, rolling lands dotted with sheep. To his left, yellowing plane trees and broad, bare chestnuts, the smell of mulch. It was wonderfully easy. It was like shedding an old cloak in a hot room. The day felt new and right and hopeful and joyous, and Draco... Draco found himself smiling like an idiot, and the moment he noticed that, he stopped and pulled Blotchy to a stumbling walk. He turned back shortly afterwards. It was wrong to break faith with the dead. In the back of his mind, a small voice told him that Pinky would say that was stupid. But then, Pinky was not the only dead Draco felt he had to answer to, and the others would not, he knew, be so quick to forgive him his happiness. How was it? Elsie had come out to greet him by the doorway, drying her hands on a kitchen towel. Very good, said Draco, dismounting. His nose was frozen and he was sniffing. Very good, yeah. He nodded and gave a well-measured smile. I'm glad, Elsie said. Draco led Blotchy back to the stables and cooed at her for longer than was necessary before heading back into the house. Elsie was at the table, writing up a grocery list, and without looking up said— You know, it's so lovely to have someone about the house again. Ah, Draco said. He'd been getting himself a glass of water. Good. Wouldn't want to be a nuisance. Elsie lifted her eyes to him. He'd given away something in that moment. He knew it immediately. Knew it a second too late. He drank his water to avoid her gaze. She said, You're not a nuisance, Draco. He swallowed and smiled, mouth wet, trying not to look too abashed. Of course I'm not. I'm a delight, he said which he tried to sell as a joking deprecation, but the sarcasm came out a little too truthful. She invited him to go along with her to the farmer's market in town the following Saturday. He did, and through the babble of the stands and the loveliness of the stone houses and the crispness of the season and the smell of bread, another wave of almost happiness passed through him. He ignored it and paid for his cut of salmon. Back at her home, they sat at her kitchen table, their groceries spilling out of their baskets, and talked idly about Blotchy, about the house, about Elsie's grown-up daughter Arabella, who had married a rich banker in the city and didn't call enough. They talked about Harry, too, about Draco's worry for him, although not in detail. Draco didn't mean to talk about him, it just slipped out. Harry often appeared on the stairs when Draco came home, looking suspicious and hulking, as if he was sure that Draco was a burglar who needed to be whacked in the face with a cricket bat. It's just me, said Draco, the third time this happened. He was in a good mood. Elsie had called him handsome, and when he looked at his reflection in the loo, he thought she might be right. It was a silly thing to get happy over, it wasn't like it mattered, but he felt cheerful all the same. Harry leant against the wall with one shoulder. "'Where do you go?' he asked. "'Are you part of some secret country club or something?' All of Draco's good humour drained out of him, as if a plug had been pulled. "'Secret club? "'Why don't you say what you mean?' he said. Harry frowned. "'What I—what I mean? "'It couldn't be more obvious that you think I'm up to some nefarious evil,' said Draco. "'And you're right. "'Here, look. "'This is my dark secret.' He held out a tin of homemade brownies. "'Befriending your neighbours, is that allowed?' I never said, said Harry. So what, said Draco. I can't talk to you. You hate having me in the house, but I can't go out either. What the hell do you expect of me? I don't expect anything, said Harry, coming down the last few steps to loom over him. Ron and Hermione asked me if you could... You could have just said no, said Draco. I wanted to help, said Harry. Draco ran his hand through his hair. Bags, cloak, note, apparate, apparate, train, he said on a quick breath. I don't know why I came here. Harry backtracked. Look, I'm sorry, he said. I know I'm not the best... Host, all right? "'I know you're used to house elves and butlers, "'and Draco only just resisted stamping his foot. "'You live in the physical embodiment of depression. "'You think I don't know that?' cried Harry. "'They looked at each other. "'Harry's eyes were far too pretty for his gruff face. "'I just need a little bit of order,' said Draco. "'He didn't add, in order to stay. "'I need some part of the house "'that doesn't feel as if it's waging war on me.' "'Harry's jaw twitched. "'Okay,' he said. "'Okay.' "'Yeah,' said Harry, his eyes dropping to the floor, his eyelashes dark against his cheek. "'I know I'm not—I have a hard time letting go of things.' Draco tried not to think about the morning he'd left Harry in bed, before Harry had woken up to the realisation of what he'd done. Draco had to practically squirm free, Harry's arms locked around his chest, his cheek buried in the small of Draco's back, their legs tangled. He'd made low noises, rough and anxious, and when Draco had worked himself out he'd pushed a pillow against Harry's chest in recompense, and Harry frowned and shoved it away, rolled back into untidy sleep. Draco was blushing, could feel his cheeks going hot at the memory. It was stupid to be so obsessed with his first shag. Most people could turn it into a funny story by now. Most people didn't turn it into something like this, ruined and holy. Draco's cheeks were pink, and Harry was staring at him again. Draco said, Yeah, no fucking kidding. Harry blinked slowly. It's weird when you swear, he said after a moment. You're so precise. Fucking. He put on a crisp accent, rounded out every letter, even tilted his chin up a little. Draco's blush was getting worse. I don't fucking talk like that, Draco said. Yes, you fucking do, Harry said, in the same voice. There was something relaxed about his shoulders. It was terrible that seeing Draco and Barris seemed to sue him. It was not a sustainable solution. Can I have a brownie? asked Harry. Yes, Draco said. They had dinner together at that little corner of the kitchen table that, this time, Harry cleared, watching each other more covertly than usual. The next morning, Draco awoke to the sound of rain pattering on the window panes. The clouds pressed darkly grey against the cottage. His room felt smaller than usual, humid, the roof giving off a soggy, wet smell. Draco remembered what Harry had said the day before. Okay. He tried not to remember the moment when Harry's voice had risen, unmoored, to say, You think I don't know that? Tried not to think about how much he wished something would wake Harry up, remind him of who he was and how much he deserved. Draco dressed and breakfasted while the winds began to rise around the house, pushing the trees into bending. He then set himself to his day's task, his bedroom. He had early on made some half-hearted attempts to improve it, but he hadn't yet made any serious efforts to displace the boxes. He began now. He took down the curtains and washed them. He cleaned the white grime off the windows. He opened every single box and divided their contents into keep, throw, and donate. Then he moved the newly organised boxes into the crowded spare room across the hall. He dusted and beat the carpet out of the window and washed the sheets and found a little bedside table hidden under the rubble and a little lamp with a working bulb. He scrubbed the floors, which turned out to be a very lovely hardwood parquet, fishbone with a honey finish. The carpet revealed a deep blue pattern, rather than a greyish mottled mess he'd feared it to be, and behind the highest tower of rubble, he'd unearthed a lovely narrow tapestry of birds and a thin pear tree. By mid-afternoon, the room was his. The bed in the middle, the heart of the room. Copper framed, a quilt, neatly pressed pillowcases. To the right, a fireplace. To the left, a deep brown and squat cabinet with roses painted under the varnish. A high-backed chair, velvet with a tasseled hem. He left the window open and let the stormy winds carry out the last of the dust and lay on his bed and thought of Pinky. Put everything he can away now. For the first time in weeks, he felt, not anguish, but a sort of melancholy contentment. It did not last long. When Draco sat up and looked at his room again, he was filled with determination. It was about time someone looked after Harry. Draco decided the next room he would deliver from the tyranny of the house would be the study. It should have been the nicest room in the cottage. It was on the ground floor, overlooking what might one day be a back garden if it could ever be rescued from the wild jungle of nettles that had claimed it. It had low eaves and a large fireplace and what looked like quite a nice green carpet beneath all the boxes. It was harder going than the bedroom. Mice had discovered the boxes before Draco and there were droppings everywhere and sometimes the boxes disintegrated when he touched them, years of dry rot finally taking their toll. But Draco ploughed on, making four piles now. Keep, throw, donate, ask Harry. He had only been going for an hour when the door opened. "'Oh, Harry,' said Draco, "'morning, afternoon, whatever. "'So, I've rescued this stack of letters from the mould. "'Where would you like me to put them?' Harry looked as if he'd only just woken up, "'hair flat on one side, eyes puffy behind his glasses. "'He was barefoot. "'He opened his mouth, closed it, then opened it again. "'What are you doing?' he asked, finally. "'Draco looked around at all the boxes. "'I should think that was obvious,' he said. "'Harry was—ah, Harry was angry.' I said you could make a bit of order, not go sneaking through my personal belongings. Draco sat back on his heels and straightened his shoulders. He took his hands back to him away from the mess and folded them into his lap. I just thought, he said, sharp, directed at the floor, that we could both. that we could both benefit from a bit of thought. Why didn't you ask? Why didn't you just. Sometimes you need a push, Draco snapped, looking up, instead of a request. Harry's nostrils flared as he watched him. Draco added, You know, Pinky would always. I'm not. Harry came in with a shout, almost a shout, his voice loud in the small room. It set some dust shuddering off a stack of books. When he finished his thought, it was quieter, like he'd railed himself in. I'm not Pinky, goddammit, Draco. I'm not- This is not- He took a deep breath. Draco got to his feet and stood very still. He knew in that manner of knowing that whatever followed would be terrible. And it was. Harry said, I'm sorry that you're too fucked up to be on your own right now, but you don't have to come and fuck with my house just to avoid thinking about anything, okay? It's my house. Just- Just leave it. Draco's heart thudded. He had tucked a doily into the waist of his trousers in a mockery of a maid's apron. He'd done it in jest to entertain himself. He snatched it out now, tossed it at the boxes he'd moved. He got to his feet. "'Right,' he said. "'Of course.' "'I'm sorry,' Harry said, a tense moment later. "'I just like it how—how how I like it.' "'No, of course,' Draco said, and tried to look at Harry, and then couldn't, so he looked an inch higher than the line of his hair. Like that they stood, Harry having said his piece.' Draco swallowing down an army of anger, of embarrassment, of exhaustion. He was waiting for Harry to leave so he could work himself back from wanting to break things. Harry opened his mouth with a sound like he would say something more, but then had nothing to share. Just a breath, frustrated, unsure. He nodded and then left, quickly. The thundering of his heavy boots down the worn hallway carpet. The front door opening, closing. Draco's breathing had taken a heavy note, a loud note, through his nose, laboured. He took the doily again and threw it on the ground and pushed his shoe into it. Maybe the drama would make it better. It didn't. He said, Well, said, Fine. It's just how he likes it. And his breathing was still very high in his chest. He thought, just then, that the moment had come. He would leave. Bags, cloak, and no note would be needed now. Harry would know now, would certainly know why he'd left. He could make a quick stop by Elsie, and say a stern goodbye, and be in London in time for dinner. He stormed out of the study with the intention of going upstairs, but instead he came to a confused stance. He walked the one way, then the other, then went to the stairs and stood at their bottom, looked up at the steps before him, each carrying a neat heap of old newspapers or plastic boxes, spilling over with nothing specific at all. From the railing hung dried herbs hanging from the carpeting, came the smell of mildew and decay. Go up, he thought to himself. Go upstairs. Bag, cloak, bags, apparate. Harry was throwing his life away. Harry was living in filth and refusing to let Draco do anything about it out of some stupid defiance, pride, something feral and lost that Draco couldn't quite put his finger on. He thought about Ron and Hermione, the stories they told about Harry and his temper in fifth year. The way Hermione had had to just go up against him. How Harry, with all the rage of a lost child, had reacted. How Ron once remarked to Draco, deep into a serious night, his handsome features set in a frown. I think he only knows change when it comes at the end of a fight. Draco took a breath. He moved, quickly. Went to the shed, and got a hammer and a rusty crowbar, and marched into the hallway like a war. And there, the boarded-up cupboard under the stairs. He thought, I'll do this, and then we'll fight properly, and then he'll see, then he'll see... He attacked it clumsily, first with the hammer, then began to wedge the crowbar in, under edges of wood. It broke and splintered and flew at him, and he had to duck away from it. It was a while before he realised he'd apparently been working with his wand tucked into its shoulder holster, a sure sign that he'd been wasting away under Harry's muggle melancholy for too long. He went at it with the wand, too. Then the crowbar again, then the hammer, and then the heel of his shoe kicking at the door as it broke open with a great cloud of dust. He didn't know what he'd expected. Secrets, perhaps. The answer to the problem— "'something to point at and say, "'how dare you accuse me of anything "'when all you do is hide this?' "'But there was no this. "'Just an emptiness, "'a small space with a shelf and cobwebs and old air. "'An uneasy feeling came over him, "'a prickling at the back of his neck. "'Once he'd found a crumpled set of robes "'at the bottom of Pinky's wardrobe. "'He'd thrown it in with the rest of the wash. "'It was one of the only times he'd seen Pinky "'well and truly upset. "'It had been his son's. "'They'd got the robes off him when they found him, "'on the edge of a forest, him and ten others.' Pinky had never touched the robe since that day, had kept them stuffed and hidden. They needed the wash quite badly. Something about this cupboard reminded him of that day. There was a grief inside it that hadn't been touched in a while. He swallowed and gingerly cleared the little space with a sharp spell, well aimed. He fixed the door, the hinges. Opened it and closed it, opened it and closed it. Cleared out the mess of the planks, the splinters. Moved some boxes in a more aligned order. Harry was probably into town, had gone for a walk to blow off steam, something like that. He'd be back, and soon. Draco got on his knees and rubbed at the copper door handle with a vinegar-soaked cloth. It shined a brilliant gold by the end of it. A lovely storage. So much could go in there, Draco thought, and knew that that wouldn't be the truth. Not close. The anger that had sent him into action had worn off, and now a hollow, wary space had opened up in its wake, and it ached as he waited. The storm had picked up outside, and was now whining, whistling through cracks in the window panes. The whole house was just an echo chamber for the pattering of the rain. Draco was sitting by the cupboard door, cross-legged, plucking at the rag when Harry came back. A hesitant opening of the front door. Draco had been counting, just counting, and trying not to think. He stood up quickly then, and dropped the rag, and stood straight. He had a headache and was nauseous. I should have gone home instead, he thought, a sentiment which was now followed by a deeper, hollower answer. What home? Harry had stilled immediately. He had his red beanie in hand, had pulled it off. He looked from Draco to the cupboard, and back, and to the cupboard again. He wasn't often expressive these days, he kept his feelings hidden under the shadow of his beard, his eyes down and unreadable under a frown. But now, now, something crumpled there, a tower of bricks tumbling in on itself. The corners of his eyes pulled down, the twisting of his maw, his shoulders slumping, and the sound that followed, a short and horrible sigh. He closed his eyes. Draco said, I didn't... Harry shook his head. Draco tried again. I just... I just wanted to... to show that... Okay, said Harry. Very sad, wanting to be done. He went to walk up the stairs. Harry, Draco said. Harry kept on walking. Harry, he said again, now from the bottom of the stairs, watching Harry walk up. The breadth of him, that big, tattered coat, red wool cap in hand. Draco followed him. His heart was beating heavy with hurt, with having done something stupid. Harry went to his room, sat on the edge of his bed, put his face in his hands. Draco, from the doorway, tried with a, "'Please, I—' "'Could you leave me alone?' Harry said, small, into his hands. For a while. Draco tried another tack. Was that covered your best friend or something? Hermione 2.0? Draco, Harry said. His voice was twisted. Please, just a moment. When Draco first moved in with Pinky, he had still been leery of fire. The manor had constantly been freezing, and he had developed a habit of wearing multiple thick layers. Pinky liked to have a blazing fire in every room of the house. The first time he had caught Draco having a bit of a fire moment, Vince, what happened to Vince? Is Vince okay? He'd shoved Draco in the shoulder. Indulging in a bit of nostalgia, are we? No, I... Get back on the horse, Draco. It's a fireplace. It's not going to leap out at you. Draco had shivered. (sighs) I'm a coward, he had said. Pinky snorted. (laughs) Yeah, that's an excuse. Come on, look at it. It's just a fireplace with a nice cosy fire in it. Perfect for toasting crumpets. Crumpets, repeated Draco. Holy bread. Bread full of holes. Draco had looked up at his stern, kind face and wondered what it would have been like to have grown up with someone who loved you too much to let you warp. Just a fireplace, he said, then looked back into the fire, his heart urgently pounding blood through him so that he could escape, escape. Pinky put a hand on his shoulder. Have we got any crumpets? asked Draco. Pinky had been so patient with him as they put the crumpets on the toasting tongs, and even though Draco had to leave several times, he always returned to Pinky, to the fire. Draco wasn't scared of fire any more. Fire took things, but it also gave them back. Evenings with Pinky, toasting crumpets and chatting shit about pottery. He fixed Harry with an expression he hoped was both stern and kind, pinkyish. It's only a cupboard, he said. It can't hurt you. Harry looked at him then. His eyes were bloodshot. He wasn't upset or angry. This one Draco knew. This one was despair. He'd tried to board something up and the damn thing wouldn't stay closed. Ah, said Draco delicately. He knew his own despair was self-indulgent, ridiculous, but somehow it seemed wrong to suggest that the same was true of Harry's. He wasn't like Ron and Hermione. He couldn't call Harry out. His instincts were all wrong, and he couldn't leave him alone, either. He'd never had the knack for that. He took two faltering steps forward, and went to his knees before Harry, and almost touched Harry, hands hovering. One of those rare malignant cupboards. The ones that can hurt you. Harry's eyes dropped to the ground, such a small movement, and yet so desperately, so horribly hopeless— that Draco was overwhelmed with the dizzying rush of wanting to soothe, to take away all bad things. He couldn't help himself. He took Harry's face in his hands. No, Harry, he said. You can't be this sad. You're supposed to be angry at me, not sad. This is not the right reaction at all. And Harry, with a bad, failed attempt at a smile. I'm trying. Try harder, Draco said, and his hands were moving, over Harry's face, his neck, restless, to his knees, squeezing him. You see, he said, And now his voice shook. "'You see, if you keep on being so sad, I won't have any choice but to make violent love to you. "'It's really the only option. I don't make the rules.' He had thought it might make Harry laugh. And why had he thought that? Why would Draco never learn that half his troubles came from the false belief that he was funny and charming and could get away with things? But of course, as he said it, it didn't sound the way it did when he ragged on Ron. "'Ronston, if you don't hurry up, I'm going to start wanking under your sofa.' It sounded pleading. "'Please, Harry, let me touch you. Let me put my mouth on you. Please.' Harry's breath shuddered out of him. Draco swayed, a wave being called back to the sea into Harry. Cheek to cheek now, and Harry reached up and held the back of Draco's head in his big hands like it was a small bird of a thing, trembling. Harry's breath against his jaw, and Draco wanted to dig his nails into him. Wanted with a swooping stomach for Harry to push him back into the rug, to climb onto him, to hold his wrists to the floor, to lie down on him, all of him, make it impossible to move. He kissed Harry's one bearded cheek. His lips felt overly sensitive, sore. He kissed Harry's other cheek, too, their noses brushing. Harry made a sound, tried to chase his mouth, and then turned his face away altogether. Pulled away and laid back and looked at the ceiling. Draped his arm over his eyes. Draco's hand slipped off Harry's knees. He swallowed. His throat felt tender, like he would soon be coming down with a cold. What would happen, he thought, if he crawled after Harry? Leant into the humiliation, begged for it. Put his face to Harry's lap, waited for him to push Draco away. See how much he'd be given before being told he wasn't to have any of it at all. He got up and felt at his cheek with the back of his hand. Hot. I apologise, he said, neat and true, like Pinky had taught him. I was trying to be funny. Stupid of me. Harry's Adam's apple bobbed. He didn't take his arm off his face. His henley was stretched tight over his chest, four buttons undone. His chest hair was a triangle below the soft dip of his throat. Draco often pondered the fact that in the years after school he'd not once slept with anyone he'd found so singularly attractive as he found Harry. Now, looking at the stretch of his body, like this, knowing he wasn't wanted, was turned away from, this knowledge throbbed sad and hateful at the pit of his stomach. He wanted to ask why Harry had slept with him at all at one time. He wanted to hear an answer that would make the whole thing even worse, rubbing salt into his own wounds. Wanted to hear, because pity, because despair, the war, boredom, there wasn't anyone else around. Or even, I don't know. I don't know why I did. He cleared his throat and left. He closed the door to Harry's bedroom behind him, very softly. That was chapter two of The Bolt Hole, written by Eddie Omai, Tempera, and Gallup Placidia, and read by Gallup Placidia. Tune in next week for chapter three. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on iTunes, and why not share it with a friend who you think will like the show? For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram, at LetThemEatBooks, with underscores on of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there.